Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thanks, John. I'm going to pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for this wonderful section of John's Gospel. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired him to recall this uh, so that we might not only read it together, but by your the same Spirit be moved to love Jesus more and to love like him and ask that that might be the case. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago I was in a band called Bleat. Yep, I named it. It's, it's a good name, isn't it? Anyway, uh, I was the lead singer. And uh, one night at uh, it was a combined youth bands meeting. Uh, they all met at our church building for a little bit. And uh, one of our signature songs, one of my band's signature songs at the time, was a cover of the song Jesus Freak by the then well-known Christian band uh, DC Talk, which some people may know. Anyway, uh, but it was also a song in the set of another band, uh, and they were going to play it as well. Graciously, though, uh, that band, they let us play the song, uh, and they dropped it out of their set. But I actually found out after, afterwards, uh, it was a real dilemma for many in both bands because it was pretty much accepted that our band had the better musicians but their band had the better singer. <laughs> and she was pretty. 
and no one told me. Not that she was pretty, I could see that, uh, but that she sang better than me. And I was just too wrapped up in myself uh, to actually think it might be better if she sang that song with my band. Uh, and the night would have gone, you know, that, that much better. But no one told me, uh, nor really could I have expected them to. Uh, they were all my mates, and it would have been a particularly hard, difficult conversation to have. I imagine they said nothing to avoid upsetting me. But maybe it would have been uh, more opportunity for love if they had. If they had not only had the nerve to tell me, and I had the humility to listen, something greater might have been able to happen. But, as it was, Jesus Freak was superbly played by my band, and averagely sung by me, while everyone else watched on wishing it was the girl singing. <laughs> if only there was a little bit more humble love uh, around, there'd be a whole lot more happiness and goodness coming along with it. Which is where we're going today in this passage, to see firstly how Jesus humbly loves those his own to the end, uh, so that secondly, we might love like him. First, Let's uh, recap on where we've been so far in John. Uh, up to this point, uh, we've seen Jesus do a bunch of incredible miracles like healing a lame man of 38 years uh, or for feeding a thousand, a thousands of people on a few fish and some bits of bread or healing a blind man from birth or raising li- Lazarus literally from the dead. Uh, and all of this, in all of this, he's shown that he is from God and he's encouraged people to believe in him, uh, which many haven't, but a bunch have. Uh, many, uh, a number of them though are a little bit afraid to uh, share that faith in Jesus because they're afraid of uh, the Pharisees at the time who had said that whoever was believing in Jesus they'd boot out of the synagogue. But even though a bunch of people are divided over what to do with Jesus, Jesus he hasn't finished, he's kind of set them aside, the crowds, and, but he's not finished with his disciples. Uh, they've got to know something as he stares down the barrel of death on a cross. And that's going to happen very, very soon. And Jesus wants them to know something crucial about him and about them, and it's that he loves them. And he will always love them to the end. Which is the first one. Jesus humbly loves his own to the end. As the chapter starts, and we read it earlier, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loves his own to the end. To the end there, that can mean the end of his life, or it can mean uh, to the utmost, or it can mean both, because they refer to what happens from here on in, up to and including his death for them. And it starts with loving his enemy, as uh, John deliberately points out there in verse 2, noting the evening meal was in progress, progress, but the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus, and he was there. It's staggering uh, to think that Jesus then goes on to love his own to the end, even Judas, the man prompted by Satan to betray him. That's incredible. I was reading the other day of a guy called Antoine. Uh, he's a convicted sex slave tra- trafficker, uh, he bullied uh, many girls into prostitution and he had sold them online. It's terrible. Ruining their lives for a quick coin. Now, even if he was your son or your brother, would you feel inclined to bake him a cake? Or buy him a birthday present? What about wash his feet? And yet Judas is worse than that man. 
He is a personal puppet of Satan. He betrays God himself for some silver. Jesus says elsewhere of, of him, it would be better if he hadn't been born. And yet Jesus is prepared to humble himself and wash even Judas's feet. How on earth could he stomach that? How on earth could he do that? Well, because his love wasn't based on how lovely the ones that he were loving were or are. His love is based on who he knew he was and where he was going. And we see that in verse 3 where we're told Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was going and returning to God. Jesus knew that in a very unique and divine sense he is the Son of the Father and that the Father had given him complete control, complete power. All things were given into his hands. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew tells us how when Jesus is being arrested and uh, Peter rats by drawing his sword, Jesus says, put that away. (laughs) Don't you think I... I can, cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Jesus needs to be as protected as much as a lion does. He's God Almighty. Admittedly, in a little human body, as uh, the genie out of Aladdin says of himself, phenomenal cosmic power in itty-bitty living space. Except Jesus is not shackled to his flesh like a genie to a bottle. He's not a divine prisoner in a human jail cell. He happily came from the Father to be clothed in human flesh and for the joy set before him of returning to the Father, he humbled himself. He took on the nature of a servant, which is precisely what he does next. And we read in verse 4, so he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, how would you feel uh, if we were at a meal together and at someone's house and I stripped down to my undies, uh, wrapped a towel around my waist, took a bucket of water and started washing your feet? How'd you feel? Yeah, I imagine you and everyone else would feel a little bit awkward. Now, imagine the Queen of England doing that. It'd be shameful, wouldn't it? Embarrassing, inappropriate. In 1992, the Queen visited Australia. You might remember the then Prime Minister was Paul Keating and he infamously put his hand on the Queen's back while introducing her to others. Uh, the British, British tabloids at the time, they dubbed him the, the Lizard of Oz. Uh, you just can't touch the Queen like that. It's a breach of royal protocol. Uh, there's a certain decorum that, that's got to be observed with dignitaries. There's a proper way of doing things with important and powerful people. And yet, here is Jesus, the one with phenomenal cosmic power, the Messiah, God himself, showing more flesh than usual, humbling himself to do this debasing and menial task of washing his disciples' feet. No wonder he's, uh, Peter particularly has a conniption. In verse 8 he goes, no, 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 you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, well, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Uh, Simon Peter typically <laughs> says, no, not just my feet then, my hands and my head as well. But Peter doesn't know what Jesus is really doing here. 
He's not just humbling himself to wash his feet. He, he's showing how low he's prepared to go to love his own to the end. Verse 10, we read, Jesus answered, Those that had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their, their whole body is clean. And you're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. In washing his disciples' feet, Jesus is symbolising a greater cleansing than just washing the body. A cleansing that's got something to do with being on team Jesus. Judas, he clearly wasn't on team Jesus, so he's not clean. But Jesus says the rest of the disciples, they are clean. Clean in the sense of being right with him, of trusting him to be God's Messiah, trusting him to save them which even though they don't know the extent of that salvation at the time, from Jesus' perspective, he knows he's going to the cross to die for their sins and for their sin and, and for all who trust in him to save them. And so from his point of view, they're clean. The Bible talks a lot about uh, how we're dirty with sin. That is, we're all guilty of mistreating God and it, and it leaves a stubborn stain on our soul. I'm sure that we've all felt that at some point time or another, dirty, grotty on the inside for the stuff that we've done wrong or said or thought. Well, that's the stain of guilt and shame on our soul and the only thing, the only thing that will wash us clean of it is the blood of Jesus. That is his death on that cross for us in our place. If we accept that he died in our place, he says the guilt is taken away. God doesn't see it in us anymore. And this is made possible by this humble death of Jesus, which he symbolises and anticipates by humbly washing his disciples' feet. In this, he shows just how low he's prepared to go out of love for them. Jesus humbly loves those who are his own to the end. Which brings us to the second point. Jesus humbly loves us to the end so that we might love him, like him. Which is... What he goes on to say to his disciples. Verse 12, he says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, No servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. What Jesus says here, it's not that hard to understand, is it? But it's a good deal harder to do. Because it's not just about washing each other's feet, is it? It's what the foot washing points to. Humbly laying down his life for his friends and for his enemies. That's the example he says that his disciples should follow, to humbly lay down their lives to serve others. Because to not do so is to think that you know better than Jesus. And that's not a smart thing to think, since he's God and all. There's no good reason for those of us who are on team Jesus to ignore the should of verse 15, because we can't deny he's the master of verse 16. We're his servants by virtue of his power and authority. We should humbly lay down our lives to serve others, especially each other in God's family. And not just because we should, but because we'll be blessed if we do. That's what he says in verse 17. 
now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. How do we know this? How do we know that we'll be blessed if we do this? Well, because Jesus was blessed as he humbly loved his own to the end. As we read in the book of Hebrews, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him then who endured such opposition from sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus, he knew the joy on the other side of his self-sacrificial and humble service as he rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death and the devil, dragging all his people along with him to the tune of eternal life. His love for his own ends in unspeakable joy. And so will ours as we fix our eyes on Jesus and consider him who loved even those who hated him. As we keep our focus on Jesus, we can be confident we will not grow weary We will not lose heart in following his example to love others at cost to ourselves. Because in the end, to love others like this is to be blessed. Blessed with joy. A joy that we'll share with Jesus. A joy that can help us to humbly love and serve others now. And not just because of the joy set before us that we will have, but because of the joy now in knowing who we are to God through Jesus. I've been reading a, a good book at the moment. It's called God Is by Mark Jones. I did have two copies of it in the bookstall, but uh, they've been snapped up. Sorry. Uh, you can get a copy of it online if you'd like to in a bunch of other places. Anyway, in the chapter in that book called God Is Love, Mark, he quotes the theologian William Bates, who suggests something pretty provocative. He says that God shows greater love to us than to Christ himself. Here's what he says. God, in giving him to die for us, declared that our salvation was more dear to him than the life of his son. Let that sink in. God loves us more than to save Christ from the humiliation, trial, heartache and suffering he endured. That's how much he loves you. That's profound. What's more, as God the Son in the flesh, Jesus, his life was infinitely more precious than the lives of angels, than the lives of all people. Yet, he was glad to lay it down, to suffer death and the infinite bitterness of God's judgment in our place for our sin. The Father and the Son, they love us this much. That is our joy now, the love of God. And as such, to lay out our lives in service of others is to live in the joy and the confidence of God's love for us now and forever. Now, of course, we can love others like Jesus in so many different ways, can't we? By giving up our time and our energy and our money to serve for instance, in various ministries here in church, by serving those at work, for our work colleagues, for their good, even when they're difficult, or at school, or at uni, or at home. But I think there's a specific way that Jesus shows us in this passage, apart from the physically washing of people's feet, which I don't think is so much of a cultural, particularly appropriate way for us to humbly serve and love others now. 
And it's the way that Jesus interacts with Peter. He lovingly corrects him. You might have picked that up. Peter's like, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus is, Peter, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Trust me, you need to let me wash your feet now. You'll get why later. And Peter's, Peter's then, well, uh, don't stop with my feet, wash me all over. And Jesus is again, <laughs> Peter, calm down. You're missing the point. I'm not interested in giving you a bath. I'm making the point you need to let me humbly serve you if you want to be clean and right with God. And in this, I think, we see Jesus as a servant humbly love Peter by correcting him. Even if it might have meant bursting his enthusiastic bubble, uh, Jesus is more interested in loving him than pleasing him. And maybe that's something we need to consider as we look to love like Jesus, to, to love people enough, even our brothers, uh, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love them enough to correct them if they're caught up doing or saying something wrong or unwise, even if it might be awkward and confronting. This is something that I really struggle with. I like people to like me. And to my shame, I often like it more than loving them. If I see they're doing something wrong or unwise, I just, I'll avoid. I have a tendency to avoid saying anything to them. Or hope that someone else will. Uh, or hope that it's, you know, it's just a one-off thing. They won't do it again. And, and justify saying nothing is either keeping the peace or you know, justifying it as it's none of my business. Or maybe even while I'm loving them by not saying it. When in fact it's not about what's good for them at all. It's about what's good for me. If I loved them like Jesus, I'd be prepared to serve them by suffering just a little bit of awkwardness. Maybe a lot. As they react badly as I gently try to correct them. And maybe that's something you struggle with too. Pleasing people over loving them. When there's so much more long-term joy in gently correcting them. As the Bible says elsewhere, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Do we love people enough for that? Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of such correction. How'd it go? Did you receive it in the spirit it was given? Did you look for Jesus working in and through it, even though it wasn't delivered very gently or lovingly? Because to humbly serve others as you're being corrected is not to be like Peter here, not to overcompensate with thoughtless enthusiasm or with justifications or excuses. It's just to stop and listen. Remember who you are to God, dearly, dearly loved, and that no failure or perceived failure of yours is going to change that. You are a child of God, deeply loved, and then humbly receive what your Heavenly Father might be correcting you on through them. After all, God disciplines those he loves. So in finishing up, Because Jesus so humbly loved us, we know how dearly we're loved by God and have the joy of an eternity with him in the bag. Because of this, Jesus' humble love, we can humbly love each other too. Going back to the story that I started with, uh, imagine if my mates had loved me enough to point out at the time that the girl was a better singer and I'd been humble enough to love them and the other band uh, to accept it. 
that night many years ago could have been made not just for better music, but for better community. Now that's just a small, kind of silly example, but I wonder this coming week, how might we enjoy the blessing and joy of humbly serving each other as we're moved again by the humble love of our great God and Saviour in Jesus? And to that end, I'm going to pray now. Almighty God, our Saviour and Father, we thank and praise you for your incredible love to us. That you sent your Son, Jesus. That you loved us even more than Christ. Not willing to forego him suffering the humiliation and distress and the agony and the bitterness of your judgment on our sin to save us and to love us. We thank you so much for Jesus' love, whose life, though infinitely more precious than our own, nonetheless willingly gave it for us so that we might know you, so that we might have life and the joy of knowing you now and into eternity in the light of this love, the great and deep love that you have shown us, this humble, immense love for us that Jesus symbolised in washing his disciples' feet and demonstrated preeminently in the cross. In the light of that, in the light of who we are to you, in your great and amazing love for us, in and through Jesus, help us to love like him and to humbly love those around us and be prepared to serve them for their good at cost to ourselves. And may we do this in the joy of knowing your great love for us in Jesus. Please prick our hearts and our consciences now. Show us how we might do this today the next day, and so enjoy following Jesus' example and enjoying the love that you have shown us more and more in and through Christ. And we pray this in his precious and wonderful name. Amen.